Sometimes as leaders, we think there's no way someone could do the job as well as we can. It can be easy to feel like we have to have our hands in everything for our church to succeed. But as we all know, that couldn't be further from the truth. No one accomplishes anything great alone. Great leaders delegate. And if you're listening to this podcast, I know you want to be a great leader at your church. If you feel like you're overwhelmed trying to do it all, today's episode partner, Belay, can help. Belay's modern staffing solutions have been helping busy leaders like you and me delegate the details for over a decade. With Belay, you can get intentionally paired with a U.S.-based virtual assistant or accounting specialist and level up your church through the power of delegation. I know what you might be thinking. I can't afford to bring on help. If you're a church leader trying to do it all, this might be the best investment you can make in your church, not to mention your relationships, your parenting, and your mental health. Belay's intentional matching process and dedicated guides are ready and waiting to help you take your leadership to the next level. To help you figure out where to start, Belay's offering an exclusive leadership toolkit free to our listeners. With this toolkit, you'll learn the necessary steps every leader needs to accomplish more and juggle less. Just text RUSTY, that's R-U-S-T-Y, to 55123 to get back to leading your church well with Belay. No one can do it alone. Great leaders delegate. Get the support you need to get out of the administrative weeds and back to growing your church with Belay. Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to episode 247. There are no more controversial issues in our culture right now than the issue of sex and identity. People are wanting to know, what does God say about this? What does the Bible say about this? Are the things that we read about in the Bible just ancient literature and really not applicable to today? And the interview we get to have today is with an individual by the name of Sam Alberry, who asked the question in his book, Why Does God Care Who We Sleep With? Well, this conversation is one that we're having around real life right now, and you can check out our resources and our conversations uh, also on our website, reallifechurch.org. It also reminds you possibly of a conversation we had last month with a guy by the name of Beckett Cook and his struggle with same-sex attraction and wondering what God has to say about that. And so I think you're really going to find today's episode really, really insightful and helpful from Sam. And I think this is going to be one you want to share with somebody else as well. So I want to thank Belay Solutions for supporting uh, this podcast. And I'm excited for you guys to hear my conversation with Sam Alberry. Sam Albury, thank you for joining us. Uh, judging by the accent, you're not from around here. Tell us where you're from. Yeah, I'm from England. It's my uh, it's my dirty secret. So yeah, I grew up in the UK and I've just recently moved here to the States. Okay, are you now you moved to Nashville, correct? That is the one. Yep. Uh, okay. Do you say y'all yet? Uh, no, I feel like that would that would I would have my UK citizenship cancelled or something if I, I ever so. said that out loud. Yeah, I don't know if you can say y'all with a British accent. So. No, it'd be y'all. It just doesn't work. <laughs> okay. Um, I think the question everybody wants to know is, is the, the miniseries The Crown accurate? Uh, it's based on truth, but it's it's obviously been a bit of dramatic license. Okay. But, um, so yeah. I was talking to a guy in an airport one time who was from across the pond, and I said, do you guys get as obsessed about the royals as we do over here? And he said, not at all. We just don't care. Is that true? Yeah, probably broadly true of, of the UK. I mean, we'll watch The Crown. It's interesting. But I think it's 
I think we're less fascinated with the Royals because we've always had them. Okay. And so it's kind of like it's always there, so you don't think about it. Okay. Whereas for you guys, the royal family is more of a novelty. It's more of a kind of like a specialism of the UK. So, it is. That's all we yeah, think of. It, for you, it's exotic to have a royal family. For us, it's just a bit normal and boring. Right. Okay. Well, I'm just fascinated how they've divided up what we do with one person, the presidency, and you guys yeah. get them in two different groups. So very fascinating. Okay. Well, that's a conversation for another time. Sam, you're a pastor now in Nashville, correct? Mm-hmm. Tell us what what your world looks like. You travel around, you speak, you write. What's yeah. what's your job look like? Yeah, I mean, broadly, my, my calling is to serve the church. Okay. That, I felt that from really just around the time I was converted, that the Lord put it on my heart to serve the church and to do whatever I can to encourage the, the local church. Um, and in recent years, that's that's involved both local church ministry and then trying to serve the wider church. Okay. speaking into certain issues, writing on certain things. So it's probably half and half local church ministry and then these other things. Okay, so were you talking at all? Were you speaking at all about the issues we're going to talk about today before you wrote your book, or did that kind of launch you into the stratosphere? Um, yeah, I was, and the book came out of doing that ministry and having those conversations and hearing what people were asking and seeing where some of the needs were. Okay, so I want to just direct our listeners to the um, Real Life Church uh, Weekend uh, Part 3 of Sex and Theology, where Sam shares his personal testimony of growing up, realizing that you dealt with same-sex attraction, and then trying to figure out where's your faith lie with all that, where's Jesus lie with all that. Mm -hmm. And so then this book comes out that you wrote, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With?, before we get into all the other questions I have for you, will you sum up that book for us and yeah. pretty much the the entire process of your life in about, you know, two minutes. So, <laughs> you know, just your wrestling and, and all of that and what led you to write that. Yeah, so it's, there's a few things. There's, there's a sort of personal reason for writing it, wrestling with my own sexuality mm-hmm. and trying to think through as a, as a disciple of Jesus what to do with that and what he's calling me to. But there was also a, a sort of a pastoral reason seeing... A lot of confusion in the world around us, a lot of questions in the church about mm-hmm. sexual issues and, and some of the stuff going on in culture around us. So the, the book came out of a, a real burden to try to present Jesus' teaching on sexuality to a to a world that is quite skeptical about it. Right. And the, the, the kind of book in a nutshell would be that God cares who we sleep with because he cares about the people doing the sleeping. He cares about us. Right. And he's he's created sex to be a profound thing a meaningful thing and therefore it it matters how we steward our sexuality Mm. and it would be uncaring of him not to bother with who we slept with right not to have an opinion yeah okay so help me identify how the church has stumbled in having this conversation because Mm. i never grew up hearing about it i mean and we see the radicals on tv you know that are just acting horribly in the name of Jesus. So yep. how has the church kind of messed this up? Well, you allude to two ways just in that in the mm. way you frame that. One way is that we've often not talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've, I'm, I've had different reactions when I've, when I've talked on this, but I remember someone very early on when I started to speak on this saying to me, it's improper to speak of these things in a church. Mm. And I, you know, I thought about it and thought, well, actually the Bible talks about it. 
Mm-hmm. So if the Bible talks about it, we're meant to be discussing it. Mm-hmm. So we, we mustn't be more prudish than God is. And if, if God has given us in his word teaching about this issue, then we must talk about it in church on a Sunday. Um, but I think you're right. There have been some unhelpful ways Christians have spoken about this issue, sometimes in a very judgmental way, sometimes singling out particular sexual sins as if they are the you know the big bad sins of, of the world and mm-hmm. kind of excusing some of our own ones right so we we do need to speak about it but we need to speak about it in a way that reflects the, the balance the proportion of scripture in a way that you know just reflects the fact that all of us are broken in this part of life all of us need the grace of jesus mm-hmm. and the gospel is jesus has come for sexual sinners mm-hmm. which is all of us so I think that's the thing that, that's most cheered me as I've thought about this, as I've wrestled with various temptations myself, is Jesus' grace really is sufficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we can we can think about our own sexual struggles and think, you know, I must now have surely crossed the line where Jesus is just like, I'm too much for him to handle or, you know, just too many temptations, too much mess. Right. But the, he, there is always more grace in Jesus than there is sin in us. Mm. And it's grace that changes us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we're not the same people when we walk with him. It seems like in the church today and in culture today, there is this desire to kind of, can't we all get along? In other words, um, surely monogamous, married, homosexual couples, same-sex attracted, God's okay with that. I mean, obviously the promiscuity, um, the, the kind of rampant, sexual partners and lifestyle that we you know have all heard stories from or maybe some have experienced okay that's outside of god's boundaries but surely the monogamous married that kind of relationship you know what do you say to that how did you wrestle with this and come out on the side of no i i don't think so while others wrestle with it and say oh i think he's fine with that yeah well well ultimately god god is the one who gets to say what he's fine with and and we've got to keep coming back to scripture um and it is crystal clear in the bible god's god's design for sex is for it to be within the context of of a male female marriage um there's no avoiding that um but it is it's the consistent teaching of the bible it's been the consistent understanding of the people of god for for two thousand years of of christian history um Mm -hmm. so it's it's quite a new thought to say well faithful same-sex relationships can be blessed by god that that's not something Mm. the church has ever taught until now Mm -hmm. so you've got to wonder why we're suddenly saying that's okay now in the Mm -hmm. western world at this point so we've got to we've got to let the the lord himself and and the authority of scripture be what determines what determines our beliefs but i think the other thing i'd say is you know to say well as long as it's faithful and monogamous it's okay I'd want to say, well, why is that the boundary? Hmm. Uh, what about those who, who want to say, well, we're a faithful thruple? Hmm. What's wrong with that? Or for people who say, well, actually, I feel a sense of, of spiritual fulfillment in promiscuity. Hmm. Um, so it feels arbitrary that we're saying, well, as long as it's a faithful, committed right. partnership, you're thinking, well, why there? Right. And it's just a reminder that all of us are drawing the line somewhere. Mm-hmm. So the idea that, you know, people like me are, have got a narrow, you know, 
restrictive view of sexuality. All of us have a restrictive view of sexuality. All of us are drawing a line somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, do we have a way of explaining and accounting for where we do draw the line? Mm-hmm. And for me, I hope where I'm drawing the line is is following scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it isn't, I want to be corrected on that. Mm-hmm. But that, that to me has got to be the authority. Um, if we just try and sort of you know, triangulate where we think the Bible is and where, where culture is and where we can get away with, you know, not, not annoying too many people in our culture, then the goalposts will always be shifting. Mm-hmm. And the Christian sexual ethic has always been countercultural. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some amazing stuff that's been written recently on, on just how radical the Christian sexual ethic was in the Roman world, mm-hmm. just how countercultural it was then. Mm-hmm. So it's always been countercultural. We don't need to worry about the fact that, you know, so many people in the Western world today think the biblical sexual ethic is so harmful and dangerous. It's always been out, out of sync with culture. I had a conversation on this podcast with uh, Sean McDowell. Yeah. Uh, just a brilliant mind. But yeah. I asked him, what's the difference between the apologetics that you deal with versus what your father dealt with, Josh McDowell? Mm, gosh. And he said, well, my father had to prove his Christianity true. I have to prove his Christianity good. That is exactly it. And I, I, I think where our culture is wrestling with is, well, if God made me this way— mm-hmm then why would he tell me no? That doesn't seem very good. Thus, the whole house of cards comes down. What do you say to that? No, Sean's exactly right. When I was, uh, when I was at university in the, in the mid-90s, people didn't want to be Christian because they thought we were too good. Mm. Uh, people don't want to be Christians now because they think we're bad. Uh, mm. that, that has flipped significantly. Mm-hmm. And to that point of, well, God made me this way, so surely I, I should live the way that I am, um, you know, one of the extraordinary insights the Bible gives us is that we are both created by God and affected by sin. Mm-hmm. So I can't just read off from everything that I am now how God made me, because there are lots of things that feel native to my heart, instinctive to me, that are not from God. Mm. Um, I have all kinds of crazy impulses. I can't say, well, because I'm, for example, I can be an irritable driver. I can't say, well, God made me irritable, and therefore you have to affirm my irritability. Yeah. Uh, we are all a mix of being created in the image of God and and being fallen and tainted by sin. Mm. We're the product of both Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. Mm. So if I, if I only think I'm the product of Genesis 1, then I, I won't know what to do with the very things within me that I know aren't right. Huh. And we all have that. We've got to account for that somehow. And similarly, some Christians talk as if we're only a product of Genesis 3. And we need to remember, no, no God has made every one of us in his image. There's something precious um, in every single person that we encounter, including ourselves. Mm. It's, the, it's, the, it's the answer to the charge today that, that Christianity creates self-loathing. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. Because it actually, it, Christianity gives us the safety to recognize our sinfulness and our brokenness within that wider framework of we're made in God's image Mm -hmm. and as Jesus says we're worth more than many sparrows to him Mm -hmm. which means we can look at our darkest aspects of our nature we can look at those things in the eye without actually being overwhelmed by them Mm -hmm. and knowing that Christ has come you know specifically for sinners specifically for 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 messed up people like us to, to make us whole again
That's really well said. I've never heard that distinction before between Genesis 1 people, Genesis 3 people, as opposed to both of them together. That's really well said. I need to chew on that. Um, okay, for our audience uh, that know people or perhaps are people that struggle with uh, gender dysphoria mm. or same-sex attraction, uh, you know, and they're wondering, I don't see the goodness of God in this. Yeah. What would you say to them? Yeah, I get that. Um, <laughs> that is part of the human experience for everyone in one area of life or another. For, mm. for many of us, it won't be in gender dysphoria or it might not be in same-sex kind of sexuality. But all of us feel that, feel some way in which what God has for us cuts across something that feels very deep within us. Mm -hmm. Jesus talked about all of us needing to deny self and take up our cross. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, there's, there's not a person on the planet for whom the teaching of Jesus doesn't feel at some point like it might kill us, mm -hmm. like he's actually taking life away from us. Hmm. But that's the case for every single one of us. And what we begin to realize as we, as we go on in the Christian life is those very times when it feels like Jesus is taking away what we need to live, looking back on it, we see it very differently. We realize actually Jesus is, is giving life to us, not taking it from us. Hmm. So for the friend who's wrestling with, with gender identity, wrestling with their sexuality, and Christianity might feel just inconceivably difficult i'd want to say you're not alone in feeling that way jesus expects us to feel that way and yet his claim is that what he has for us is actually unfathomably good mm. and and the invitation of scripture is taste and see that the lord is good mm -hmm. so let's look at the message of jesus and see if we can't deduce how actually he's he's inviting us into fullness of life mm-hmm it's just a form of life we haven't conceived of before because mm -hmm. it's it's life on his terms and not our own. Mm -hmm. But it's on the terms of someone who, who knows way more about this life stuff than we do. Mm. Um, and so we're, we're actually putting ourselves in the hands of the expert on being a human. Um, we just don't wow. do, we're not very good at being people. That's true. He's, he's the master at it. And so his ways seem so out of kilter with our ways because we, we're not very good at this stuff. Right. Uh, we don't know what's best for us, but he does. So for those that are thinking, boy, okay, I get that. He knows best. But I feel like that's a huge sacrifice of me to make to give up this idea of being in a, a marriage, a relationship, having a family, those kind of things. You've chosen to become or to be celibate. So um, you're living as a single man. Um society might look at you and say, well, you're missing out. I mean, how do you juxtapose that with what God is a good God and knows what's best? I mean, are yeah. there times that you wrestle with that? Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. As, as does every Christian. Okay. Um, you don't have to be single to wrestle with that. Um, <laughs> That's true. I know marriage, for my married friends, is, is not always a walk in the park. No. There are seasons when married people wrestle with mm -hmm. God's teaching too. No, I think what we what we all come back to as Christians is that we, we always get far more from Jesus, even in this life than we give up for him. Hmm. So yeah, there's, there's things I have to say no to because of my allegiance to Jesus. But uh, Jesus is so good that he, he never says no to something without saying a much bigger yes to something else. And so if wow. there are some things I don't get to have now, there's a whole bunch of other stuff I do get to have. Mm -hmm. 
And in, in passages like Mark 10, 29 and 30, Jesus says that, you know, whether we leave behind fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and homes and lands for his sake, we receive a hundredfold even in this life. Mm-hmm. And he gives us a richer form of the things that we've left behind. So we're, we're never, it's never a bad deal relationally to follow Jesus because we're folded into his family and he puts around us people who hmm. become mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters, which is where the church comes in. And this is, this is another area where we, have, where we have fallen short of what we need to be because the church is meant to be a living advert for the goodness of the teaching of Jesus. It should be the case that people can look at the life of a local church and say, do you know what? I will have more love there than if I follow my own instincts, Mm. which is that's the challenge for us. That's the vision Jesus gives us as the church. And that's part of his apologetic. Um, Mm. By this will all people know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. So Jesus is never because God is love. Jesus is never actually inviting me into less love. He's inviting me into better love. Because he, again, he's better at this stuff than we are. So I don't get the kind wow. of love that I yeah. had thought I wanted and needed. Right. I get a different kind of love that turns out to be much better. That's interesting. Beckett Cook, uh, who mm. we were talking about before we hit record, said something similar because the question is always, well, you know, don't you think God wouldn't want you to be lonely? That's what yeah. everybody always says. Yeah. And he said, I'm not lonely. I'm no. in a relationship with the creator of the universe. Well, yeah. So there's a there's a greater good he's discovering. There is. And, and, not, and the great thing is, not just with the creator of the universe, but with his people. Right. Um, no, we're, we're, we're not designed to be alone. But our, our culture has such a narrow, constrictive view of what not being alone has to look like. Right. And we have a very narrow view of intimacy where basically we, we've we funneled all of our emotional and relational needs into having a romantic and sexual relationship. Right. Whereas the Bible actually has much broader categories of intimacy, of community, of family, mm. um, that we can be invited into and we can get to experience and enjoy. Um, you know, it's interesting, Jesus is in, in John 13, when he speaks about no greater love mm-hmm. has anyone than this, uh, that he he lays down his life for his friends. I can't remember exactly how he mm-hmm. words that. Mm-hmm. But that's approximately what he says. Um, it's interesting that when Jesus is looking for a superlative example of love, he turns to friendship. Huh. He doesn't say, you know, no greater love has anyone for this than a husband who does this for his wife. He talks, talks about what someone would do for a friend, which again makes us think, should make us think, okay, have we... Are we missing out on some of mm. what the Bible gives us in terms of healthy, deep relationship through friendship? Right. Okay, so we've talked about how the church has gotten it wrong. Mm. How's the church gotten it right? Give me some examples from your own life or yeah. other people that you know that have been taken in by the church. Oh, and gosh. They, they've yes. done it well. Well, many examples. I mean, the, the, the churches I've had the um, privilege of, of being a member of over the years have been great places for me to be at. Mm-hmm. They've been places where I found community, I found love, I found encouragement. Um, I, I know of so many other people who are alive today because of their local church. Hmm. Um, I think of my church in Nashville and people who have found 
such deep community there. Um, and churches get it right when we when we keep holding to what the Bible says, even when there's there's huge cultural pressure not to to think. Okay, we're just going to stick with Jesus here and mm-hmm. um, and keep trusting Him, even when it it means that we're seen as being the bad guys. That's mm-hmm. that's the church getting it right. Hmm. Um, but we've got to make sure we're getting it right relationally and not just confessionally mm-hmm. um, and making sure that we really are providing the kind of community that makes the world around us look in and go, hang on, we c- we can't write these people off mm-hmm. because look at what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've seen wonderful examples of that around the place. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second. You know, Easter is coming fast, and we have put together a daily resource, 28 Days to Easter, that you can easily get at reallifechurch.org. You can check that out there. Also at my website, pastorrustygeorge.com, and on our Real Life Church app. We'd love to have you follow with us as we have a reading every single day, which gets us ready for Easter. All right, back to the show. When it comes to what's the most loving thing to do, uh, or as uh, some say, what does love require of me in this situation, for the church to do it best, are there, let me ask it this way, do we use their pronouns? Mm -hmm. Do we uh, accept various terminology? Do we, um, if somebody's already married, do we just accept them as is? I mean, these are questions churches are having. Where do we draw the line, you know? Or do we take a stand, as some like to say? Uh, we don't like that language around here, but tell us from your perspective, what's yeah. the most loving thing to do? Well, and at the risk of this sounding simplistic, but the, the most loving thing to do is to is to bring people under the words of Jesus. Mm. We, we want people to come to know him. I don't want someone to feel as though they've got to change their life in order to come to know Jesus. Yes. We come to know Jesus and he upends our lives. He changes our lives. Mm. So... We, we want to pull people in to hear the message of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And as, as Lord willing, they do so. And if, if, he, if they start to respond to him in faith, then, yeah, we want to help them on their journey of discipleship. Um, we want to do that gently. Mm-hmm. Um, we, don't, we don't expect people to be sanctified overnight. We, we have, we're slow to change. We want to be patient with one another. God's very patient with us. Mm-hmm. So I think if someone is is beginning their walk with Jesus, we may be aware of, okay, at some point they're going to need to sort this out and this out and this out and this out and change that and that and that. I don't want to overwhelm them by giving them a list on day one of you've got to break up with this person, you've got to reconfigure that relationship, you've got to change this kind of language. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I do want those things to happen, mm-hmm. but I, I, I do want to be kind of patient that actually you know we we take one step at a time in discipleship and um to journey with people as as they begin to to have jesus put their lives back together mm-hmm. when it comes to things like use of pronouns that kind of thing um i different christians will have different feelings on this for me if if someone is not a believer i, I want to be as flexible as i can Mm. Um, because I, I, again, I want them to come to hear Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if one of us is going to be uncomfortable because of terminology and language, I would rather it be me who's uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> That's so well said. I, again, I want them to. I want to remove anything that would keep them from hearing the message of Jesus. Mm. I'm not going to pretend I agree with them. Mm-hmm. So there have been situations where I've I've said to someone, for example, on the the issue of gender identity, where I've said to someone, you know. 
we're going to see that we land in quite different places on this. Um, I, I want to give them notice that, you know, I don't want them to feel like I'm being disingenuous. Mm -hmm. But I, I do want to be hospitable. I do want to be flexible where I can be, mm -hmm. um, where conscience allows. Because, again, I, I want to draw people into a, a, a friendship where they can hear the message of Jesus. And I, I don't want to imply that a condition of beginning that that friendship with me is you've got to accept everything on my terms. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, but then once someone has kind of crossed the threshold, come into the life of faith, for example, if there's a, a same-sex couple who have been married, then yet yeah, as part of their discipleship, I, they, they will need to end that marriage because in God's sight, it isn't a marriage. Mm -hmm. But I might not say that to them on day one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that the Spirit is the one who convicts of sin. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's better at it than I, than I am. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I never raise issues with people, but it means I, I sort of want to, again, help people take their first steps and right. not, not try and put everything on them on day one. Right. That's well said. Okay. Um, let's talk to parents out there. They're mm -hmm. struggling because their kids are, it's, it's almost a fad. Uh, their yeah. kids are coming out or they're yep. declaring non-binary or bisexual yep. or pansexual or whatever. Um, it's almost foreign to think that you're just heterosexual. That's yeah. so boring. So kids are coming out that way. Um, what, what do you tell parents? How should they react to that? Um, uh, what, what should be their, their way to show love in those matters? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, because of what you've just said, that there there is in some cases some faddishness to this, mm -hmm. not, not in every case, obviously. Mm -hmm. But because there's such cultural cachet in identifying as binary, as non-straight, as, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I think if a child says, comes out and makes that kind of declaration, I think a good thing to say as a parent is, oh, what do you, you know, what do you, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. they may just mean, you know, I feel a bit different. They mm -hmm. may not actually mean as much as we think they might mean. Mm -hmm. And to, to bear with the fact that um, for some, this will be more of a cultural thing than an actual thing. Mm -hmm. Not to not to panic. Mm -hmm. um, and as you said, to keep, to keep showing love. Mm -hmm. um, Christ, God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm -hmm. So, it can sometimes be the reflex of a Christian parent if a, if a child starts to journey in a in a a, a disobedient way, mm -hmm. you know, starts to to step out into a lifestyle that is not compatible with the Christian faith. It can be easy for the parent at that point to immediately put them at a distance mm -hmm. um, and sort of act in a okay, you've blown it with me now kind yep. of way. I th I think we should be doing the opposite. Mm -hmm. And, and keep showing people the heart of Jesus himself towards sinners. Right. Um, not approval. Right. But not rejection either. Mm -hmm. when, when Jesus had those meals with Levi and Levi's friends, Jesus could be friends with people without agreeing with them. Mm -hmm. And he could differ with people without rejecting them. Mm -hmm. And that, that is not the grammar of the culture we live in now. Mm -hmm. Because we've, we've turned friendship into affirmation. Mm-hmm. And disagreement into rejection, and um, we we can't. That's not how we do things as Christians. Mm -hmm. So there may be a lot of patience required of a parent. It may yeah. be very very painful, um, not to overreact, um, to be patient, to try to listen as as much as possible, understand what the child is 
is saying, trying to discern what might be going on under the surface and just mm-hmm. to keep reassuring them that you're, you're not going anywhere. Do you, I know a lot of couples wrestle with this with their kids. Do they, do they put restrictions on them? Like, okay, we're going to process that together. But as long as you live under this roof, hmm. you're not going to date someone of the same gender, or you're not going to go to this place, or you're going to have to go to yeah. church with me, or various you know rules like that. I mean, I think we all grew up in homes where some of those things were very, very helpful. Yeah. Um, some were a little bit over the top. Yeah. Uh, what do you recommend there? <laughs> Yeah, it will so depend on the the situation and the family, and the, the you know the, I can't possibly be prescriptive on that. But yeah, it helps to have some boundaries in place. Mm-hmm. That you know, there's there's a reason that children are subject to their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the parents require wisdom to know what boundaries to put in place because law doesn't change hearts. Mm-hmm. It can restrict. We can restrict certain forms of behaviour. But but adding rules is not going to make someone a Christian if their mm-hmm. heart is straying from Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it's worth thinking through what do we hope the goal of such rules to be? Oh, um, and maybe we can we can mitigate some some kinds of, of damage that will come from certain forms of, of behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, that isn't the solution. Mm-hmm. That may just be the least worst way forward is to put a few restrictions in place but we we don't want to put so many restrictions in place that actually we we drive the child away right um and again that's a wisdom issue and and that's where we take james 1 verse 5 to the bank where we're promised if we ask for wisdom god will give it to us because i'm sure for so many parents (laughs) there must be a near constant feeling of i just i don't know what to do here right do i come down on this, am I am I flexible on that? Do I let this go? We need th- we need wisdom from above, right? But our heart is always we want our child to know the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness in Titus two, mm. not law. It's grace. Mm-hmm. So we want we want our kids to be tasting the grace of Jesus mm-hmm. at every single step. So I can think of parents I know where they've they've said to their kids, okay, we're going to give you freedoms in these areas, but we still want you to come to church with us on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. So we can't tell you who you can and can't be friends with, Mm -hmm. but we do want you to keep coming to church and and hearing the word of God. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, exactly where you draw which lines will, will vary from from household to household but mm-hmm. I, I can see the wisdom of thinking okay we're going to allow you a certain amount of latitude mm-hmm. but we we want you to keep hearing the voice of the good shepherd mm-hmm. okay let's flip that question a little bit um how old were you when you felt like i think something's different here i was about 15 okay i was a slow learner so i was <laughs> and plus, I was thinking this through in the early '90s. We didn't have the, all the categories of right. sexual identity that we have today. So I was right. having these feelings. I didn't really know what they were for the first couple of years. Right. So, um, talking with your parents was that uh, something that was the last thing that you did, or one of the first things that you did? One of the last things that I did, because okay. partly because I didn't understand it myself. Okay. Um, and I, I certainly didn't want to talk to any, anyone else about it, not just my parents, and talk to my friends about it either. Okay. And tell anyone about it and for, for many, many years. Okay. Um, and I, I wasn't someone who was, was a Christian at that point, so it's not as if um, hmm. 
it was my my Christianity that was was keeping me kind of quiet on this. It was just confusion. It was a, again, it was the early nineties where you know I, I feared there would be rejection if people knew what I was what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. um, so my my plan was when I was at high school, beginning to wrestle with this. Well, I'll I'll just wait till I go to university. I'll apply to a university in some other city. Mm. And then I can maybe explore these things when I get there, mm -hmm. and then no one at home will need to know. Mm -hmm. um, that was the plan. I, I ended up coming to faith before I got to university, so right. um, I'm very thankful for that. But no, I didn't process this with anyone until several years into my Christian life. Yeah. Okay. So what would you now, in hindsight, tell yourself, or what would you tell a you know adolescent that's wrestling with these things? Yeah. How would you encourage them to process this and who to talk to? And yeah, when? well, I would, I, would, I would say to them, you're, you're not on your own in feeling this way. Mm -hmm. and, and for many people, it feels like they are. They feel like they must be the only person they know mm -hmm. or who exists who has these feelings. I want to say you're not on your own. Mm -hmm. um, and to have someone older and wiser that you can talk to. Mm -hmm. um, there may be some peers around you who would be great friends along the way but i, I think mm -hmm. you want someone who you know is going to be wiser than you mm -hmm. so if there's a if there's a, a trusted leader in the youth group um mm -hmm. someone like that in the church you can open up to that would be a really wise thing to do mm -hmm. um that stage of life you know it we don't always feel comfortable as teenagers going to our parents first right parents get that as well right um but but someone like a, a trusted youth leader i think would be would be great and just to realize again it's good for someone else to know what you're going through that, that's the case for all of us right. we're not designed to to deal with our battles on our own right definitely okay so you have a chance to tell your story at a lot of churches a lot of places i'm sure there's a little bit of here we go again you know <laughs> but in that process you talk to a lot of people after you share your testimony mm. what are the common things you hear from people what are, are they relieved? Do they feel like, oh, somebody else gets it? Or is it, what are the questions they're wrestling with right now? It's a range of things, as you would imagine. Right. I get a lot of people saying, you know, my son, my daughter, my best friend, my uncle has come out. What do I do? Mm -hmm. So that it's close to home for a lot of people mm -hmm. today. Um, a lot of my best friend is now in a gay relationship. Um, and wants me to go to the wedding, that kind of issue comes up a lot. And a lot of people share their own stories and say, mm. this has been an issue for me and I've never really known what to do with it or I've never really known if this is something I can talk about with other people. Um, mm -hmm. And occasionally I'll get someone who feels very differently to me uh, mm -hmm. and will say, you know, this is such a, a repressive way to live or whatever it might be. So mm -hmm. you, get, you get a mix for mm -hmm. sure. What do you say to that question? Well, it depends. I'll ask them why they think that. So mm -hmm. I, was, I was actually interacting just online with someone yesterday who, who said, you know, something like, God loves you because of who you are. Mm. And I wanted to, and I said to them, well, actually, what's, what's better than that is God loving me because of who he is. Mm. Because that's just a firmer foundation. Mm -hmm. um, I can build my life on that. Mm -hmm. If God loves me because of who I am, that feels like a, a very unstable foundation because mm -hmm. I'm not always entirely sure I know who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and what if I change who I am? What if 
God likes me as I am right now, but I'm a slightly different person in a year's time. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes it less secure. Mm-hmm. So it depends. It depends what it is. Um, but but normally, part of the part of the assumption behind much of where our culture is now is there's a fear of missing out on love. Mm-hmm. And I get that. Mm-hmm. Which is why I want to say to people, absolutely. And the greatest form of love is the love we have from Jesus. Mm-hmm. So in as much as you fear missing out on love, don't miss out on the, the, the deepest, richest kind of love there is. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, The fear of missing out of love is actually the reason to come to Jesus, not the reason to go away from him. Mm-hmm. 28 years later, after you made this decision of, I, 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 I believe I'm same-sex attracted, and now you have chosen a life of celibacy, you're following mm. Jesus. How do you see Jesus now differently than your early oh, years? Wow. What yeah. are you learning about Jesus? Oh, gosh. So when I first started following Jesus, I knew I needed him. Mm-hmm. I knew he was the one who could forgive my sins. I knew he had laid down his life for me. Um, and and that was that was more than enough to draw me to him. Um, but I think what has deepened since then is is if I can put it this way, I, I came for the forgiveness, but I've stayed for the forgiver, and I've realised actually, Jesus Himself is the prize, mm. and He is not just the one we need in the sense of to get us out of the fix we're in. He's the one we need in terms of that which our hearts most deeply long for um i've i've i would love the 18 year old me to to get it to get in on that from the very beginning it took me a while to learn that Mm. that he's he's just more beautiful than you than you think he is that's amazing if we had a keyboardist here that could start playing and i could (laughs) sing a song i think that'd be beautiful but sam i've never done this before but i just i don't know i i feel like maybe this is the right thing to do would you would you pray for us? I would love to. And would you pray for those out there struggling with this issue, feel yeah. like they're alone, and the families out there that don't know how to help their kids wrestling with this, and yeah, you know all the gamut. So I'll just I'll let you take it from here. No, I'd love to, Father. We we do pray for everyone who's listening to this conversation, and we particularly think of those who are uh, dealing with struggles in their own heart or dealing with the pain of of people around them wrestling with these things. And Father, we remember what Christ said of himself, that a bruised reed he will not break. And we thank you that Jesus is tender with us in our pain. Uh, He doesn't stomp all over our, our wounds. He's not emotionally oblivious to where we're at. Uh, he is able to feel deeply for us and to be gentle with us. And he is the one we can trust our our deepest bruises to. So, Father, help help us to know that about Jesus. Help us to have confidence in him on that front so that when we bring our, our wounded, broken friends to, to Jesus, we, we can be sure we're doing the right thing for them. And if we're wrestling in our own hearts and, and dealing with any kind of despair, any kind of darkness, to know that actually Jesus is the safest place to come to, uh, that he himself is not unable to sympathize, as, as the word tells us, 
but he lived on this world. He experienced pain and, and distress of this fallen world, that he suffered not just for us, but with us. So help each of us, Lord, in, in, in any of our, our trials and difficulties, in any of our heartaches, to come again to Jesus, uh, to find help and grace from him. And we thank you that he is the kind of saviour who wants to help us, who wants to draw near. He's not freaked out by us. He doesn't withdraw from us. He's not intimidated by us. He's not disgusted by us. Uh, at the areas of our deepest need and of our greatest shame, he wants to be most present. We rejoice in that, Father, and we thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that was just such fantastic stuff from Sam, and I'm so grateful for his heart for the church and for all people and their quest for understanding God's uh, purpose for not only sex, but their identity and where those two things intersect. I think you're really going to be blessed by Sam's work. Make sure you check out his website and check out his books. Uh, just really, really great stuff. Hey, next week, we take on a little bit lighter of subject matter. We bring back our Major League Baseball scout, Marty Lamb, who's been a scout for the Los Angeles Dodgers for the last quarter century. He's an incredible individual, a great follower of Jesus, and happens to really be passionate about baseball and many of the players on your Dodger baseball team he found. So he's going to be back to give us some insight into the Dodger season. Can't wait to hear from him. Uh, this might be a podcast that you want to share with somebody, so make sure you pass it along. And for everybody listening, I invite you to subscribe to the show so you make sure you get every podcast we put out quick and easy to wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple. Let's As we mentioned at the top of the podcast, our partner Belay is offering their leadership toolkit free to listeners. In it, you can learn the steps to take as a leader to accomplish more and juggle less. Belay's modern church staffing solutions have been helping busy church leaders delegate important financial details for over a decade. Their fractional U.S.-based contractors provide accounting and virtual assistant services to level up your church through the power of delegation. Just text RUSTY, that's R-U-S-T-Y, to 55123 to claim this exclusive offer and get back to leading your church well with Belay.